1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
2: No, Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe
1: Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His
2: grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. 10.
1: Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe Time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 929 FM
2: ESPN. Wow, guess who's back? Yes. Yes, that would be me. Gabe Kuhn. Yes, I'm back. With hopefully a tan. I have a ring on my finger now it's it's that's that's strange but welcome in (laughs) it's good to be back in memphis although wedding honeymoon it was all i could have imagined monday october 9th 2023 it's time for the gabe show. i am gabe coon after my retreat to saint lucia for a week people were asking me connor by the way where i was at I thought we I thought we covered that pretty thoroughly. So to be fair to those people, it's okay. I
0: also didn't know where you were. <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot.
2: I had somebody tell me that they thought I quit. So You did not there quit. There is I did not quit. I am I'm here. I'm here on a Monday. Even though I had a oh hellacious day of travel yesterday, but I'll talk about that. I'm Gabe Kuhn on X at G underscore Kuhn. Seventy-one, your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. I'm alongside the executive producer. You've already heard him talk. That's Connor Dunning on X at C dunning 99 How has life been? Busy back here in the States? It's been great, but it's been busy. Yeah, but very, been, very good. Oh, no, you have been busy. I've been a busy You've been man. you been pulling those hero shifts.
0: <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. beautiful hero yeah. shifts. Well, we know about it's been. Uh, it's been good, man. Nine to Welcome seven back. radio.
2: It's always good. Did you bring me a present? Um, my presents. That's all I got for you. I, I. I
0: no. I would like to return to Cinder.
2: <laughs> I got you. I have a, you know, uh, there's a good beer when you get to St. Lucia called Piton Beer. I got a few shirts. Maybe we have one that'll that'll fit you. But I can, other it give be a nighttime
0: hat, shirt for me. It's that big. I have a double
2: <laughs> X and a and a medium. So it's a big, big nighttime shirt for me. I think the me. medium would be a nice <laughs> medium on you. Okay. I didn't buy it to be a nighttime shirt, but. You know what? If you really wanted a gift, you should have said that while I was there.
0: I, you know, I thought you'd, uh, you know, think of it. I
2: think one of my favorite moments, though, last week is when oh. I send you, we're on, we're on the catamaran, we're going into Soufriere, which is a former capital of St. Louis, and they have the pitons there. They're two, you know, volcanic, Gorgeous. you know, it's beautiful I mean, it's just one of those, I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, but I send you that, you send me back a dark studio, looking, <laughs> looking at your, uh, your, your computer monitors, you're like, this is my view right now, thanks. Thanks, a-hole. But uh, I did not say that. Yeah, but uh, I, have to, I have to review this really quick because you told me to remember three moments. Oh, God. Three moments during my wedding. I'm sure you've made fun of yourself already for this I, I on, mentioned on this it. show. I mentioned it. You told me to remember three moments. I, don't, I didn't remember three moments. I remembered one moment, and that one moment is Connor Dunning showing up to the groom's quarters at 3 p.m., it might have been a little bit before 3 p.m. It was definitely 2. because 5. I thought the wedding was at a 5.30 p.m. wedding at yeah. the Cadre downtown. I was just really excited to see you get married. Uh, yeah, I, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. You, you, no mix-up on the time at all, though. You're going to stick to that story.
0: No, I definitely screwed up the <laughs> yeah. time. No, I, I thought the wedding was at 3 o'clock. I have no idea why. I showed up at 2:50. When I walked in, the people working the wedding looked at me like I was a crazy person. I thought I missed the wedding. I was very confused as to what was going on. I was like, "Oh, this is a smaller wedding than I thought." <laughs> yes. Quiet reception. I, I didn't understand There's what was happening. There's five people
2: in here. This is tiny. He told me there was gonna be 250. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I kind of crashed the, the, hey,
2: grooms the grooms and quarters. Good. Good. The groomsmen quarters. What I will say though is there were I had a nice little cooler full of beer. I did all my pictures. Wanted to have a nice refreshing. Uh, light beer when I got back down to the groom's quarters. They were all gone, though. Do you have any idea where they went? I plead the fifth. Okay. Okay, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Probably didn't need any more beer. No. Nah. Probably needed to.
0: Yeah, yeah you did great. Wait it was for, a beautiful wedding. All yeah, jokes aside, it was, it was a gorgeous wedding. Very, very It awesome.
2: was very fun. I had a good time. Thanks, everybody, for the well wishes. Um, but then I was off to St. Lucia very quickly. That was, that was nice as well. Beautiful place. Piton beer. Already covered that. I drank more rum punches than I should have. Excellent. So that's nice. Probably need to take uh, no, no more rum for the rest of the year, at, at the very least. And I don't really drink rum. That's not, that's not usually in my repertoire. We room. were trying to guess. Being quite frank.
0: Sparky and I were trying to guess what you were drinking, and I guessed bourbon. So I, 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 I think I ha- was close.
2: I, yes, I did have a few of those, but it, it, it's weird. It's you, hard. You, bourbon you on the, island, the beach. You get it's to tough. the island, you want something that's like light-colored and, yeah. and fruity, even though you know that it's going to hurt you the next day with all that sugar. But the rum punches, yeah, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. But I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back here with you, Connor. Yeah. And you know what? I will Welcome say, back. Um, weather getting back here is nice. I, 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 as soon as I got here, it's just like fall weather. It was a weather. gorgeous weekend. It's fall
0: weather. Gorgeous weekend.
2: We're, we're into the fall. It feels fantastic. It smells like fallout. We're gonna have the leaves falling here soon. I love it. I can deal with that. I think that American Airlines though did everything they could last night. We were in Miami and we had a layover for like three hours. They did everything they could to make me, like, have, like, just a harsh reality coming back to the States. I I don't know if you've ever been to Miami and gone through customs there. There's, like, a a mile-and-a-half walk from your gate to the passport checker. Then you have to go and get your bags and put them back in. It took, like, an hour-and-a-half to two hours to just get through customs and sort of re- reestablish myself in the States. That was, that was not fun.
0: It's, it's a harsh reality coming back from a honeymoon. Like and it then, really is.
2: And then we board the plane and we realize we're going to be delayed for an hour and a half. Pilot comes on the loudspeaker and he says, Hey, you know, we're, we're delayed. And he, honestly, like I can deal with, you know, the, the regular excuses. Oh, we don't have enough fuel. We have to refuel. Uh, you know, we're having some engine trouble. Although I don't really want to hear that with the plane I'm on, but we're having engine trouble. That's a good excuse. I, Get that right. I don't want this thing to go down. His excuse was, we have four cabin lights on the right side of the cabin that are out. So we waited an hour and a half in Miami, and the four cabin lights never came back on. Hour and a half later, he comes back on and says, it's not going to be a big deal. We'll take off. It wasn't a big deal an hour and a half ago. We could have made it home. Bumpy ride on the way home, but I'm here. Glad to go. Three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. Feel like I've missed a lot, but we'll just pick up. We'll pick up where, I, where, where we left off here. A week six college football. I'll give you my takeaways, and it has to do with Lincoln Riley and USC, what he needs to do to really figure this thing out. Man, I've talked about Alex Grinch and that defense for a long time, even when he, when he was at Oklahoma. It's always been the reason he can't get over the top into the college football playoff and ultimately compete for a college football playoff national championship. But then I want to relate it to where he left a couple years ago, Oklahoma. They're here, Connor. They're here. Dylan Gabriel stamped himself as a Heisman candidate. And Brent Venables, after a nasty, disgusting 6-7 and seven year one at Oklahoma, looks like he's on top of it now. Top five team in the country. Five in the AP poll after beating Texas in the Red River rivalry. Uh, just, just beautiful stuff. And by the way, the, the whole defensive issues that, that Lincoln Riley had when he was at Oklahoma, Brent Venables doesn't have those issues. I'll, I'll, I'll get into the weeds there. And Mario Cristobal. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, we also have AAC basketball preseason media poll and media awards that have been given out. Memphis uh, second in the preseason poll and a couple of guys on the AAC preseason list and including a couple of freshmen that are that are you know supposedly going to be newcomers of the year. I don't know how many minutes they'll get, but I'll, we'll talk about that as well. As far as guests are concerned, 5 o'clock, Jeff Calkins. Can't wait to talk to Jeff from the Jeff Calkins Show and the Daily Memphian. And 6 o'clock, after a week hiatus, Harold grader The associate executive director of the Autos on Liberty Bowl will join. It's starting to get a little clearer about the Autos on Liberty Bowl, although the SEC is all jumbled up. It's Georgia, Alabama, and then everything's jumbled up in the middle, and we'll see how that all figures itself out by the time we get into December and get to the Autos on Liberty Bowl. But we'll talk to him about college football and what he's looking at right this second for his particular bowl game. We'll take a trip around the NFL at 530, small talk at 550, and then the Blitz will be at 630. I'm going to wait until then – to bring up maybe a little bit of negative news when it comes to Memphis basketball, and that has to do with Curtis Givens committing to LSU. Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? I will cover that as well as uh, we'll have some Grizz preseason to talk about. But um, I did miss Boise State in Memphis. I was I, I, That was a good wedding gift, though, from Ryan Silverfield and, and that Memphis football program to go win that game. They had a bye week, and then on Friday they're going to take on Tulane. I'll get to that in a second. But um, I want to start with Lincoln Riley and USC survive against Arizona. Survive. And, I, like, how many times do we have to see a USC team or, or a Lincoln Riley coach team be great offensively with a great quarterback, Heisman quarterback, and then defensively they have to pick up all the pieces as they go along? They survived against Arizona, who's not a good Pac-12 team by any stretch of the imagination. Are they improved under Jed Fisher? Sure. but they're not good. 43-41 in third overtime. At this point, Connor, and we talked about this on several occasions, it's on him. I'm tired of talking about it consistently. Oh, his offense is great. He really knows what he's doing. He's always going to have a good quarterback. He's a quarterback whisperer. I get that. But defensively, he's hired Alex Grinch. He's stuck by Alex Grinch, and he cannot move off of it. And, and, and there comes a time when I just look at the numbers consistently with Alex Grinch. His highest year – as far as scoring defense is 28. That was, I think, 2020 at Oklahoma. But other outside of that, 64th, 60th, and then the la- these last two years so far, and I'll give the so far number, 94th last year in scoring defense at USC and 81st so far this year. That's not good enough. You want to be a college football playoff caliber team, a contender in the end of the day. You're not going to do that with defensive numbers like that. Georgia's won the last two. They've been top 10 in scoring defense the last two years. When Alabama was doing what they were doing, they were top 15, top 20 every single year. You have to have the defense to go with the offense in college football. I know that offense, we've we've made this transition even in the pros, in the NFL, to the Patrick Mahomes of the world. You have to have a good quarterback. You have to have a good offense to get over top. It's not necessarily a defense wins championships mentality anymore. In, in football, but you still have to have a timely and solid defense to go win what you are expected to win. And right now, Lincoln Riley doesn't have that. And so far this year, this is just embarrassing with the amount of talent they brought in and the amount of money they put out there. And, you know, and I always bring up Bear Alexander, he was a big guy. Um, you know, Georgia still wanted him. They brought him over. He's got a high-rise apartment in downtown L.A., but they brought in a bunch of guys using the transfer portal, using their NIL money. They have an influx there, and Lincoln Riley does a good job of enticing recruits that way. To be bottom 25 after bringing that influx of talent and yards allowed to be bottom 25 in the entire country, 421 yards given up a game, that's inexcusable, and it falls directly on the shoulders of Lincoln Riley. Again, I, I, I had conversations at the beginning of the year with some people saying that Lincoln Riley, if he doesn't get through to the college football playoff, we need to think about hot seat. I don't think it's there. USC has not been good since the 2010s have began. Let's be honest. But at some point, you have to take a weakness and try to turn it into a strength. And Lincoln Riley has not shown any, any capacity to do that. And it's got to be frustrating for USC fans, and it's definitely frustrating for me, who's not a USC fan, not even really a Lincoln Riley fan, it's frustrating for me to see him continue to let that spiral out of control. Well, when you just look at the the
0: game, talking about how, you know, he's a quarterback whisperer and he's amazing on offense, but when your defense can't get the other team off the field, that doesn't really matter. I mean, they the possession for Arizona was 35 minutes in that game, and it was only 24 for USC. So no wonder Caleb Williams wasn't able to pop off until we got the ball in his hands later t- toward the end of the game because he just didn't have the ball in his hands. He wasn't giving his offense an opportunity to be successful because they could not get the Arizona offense eight off for the sixteen field.
2: on third down. They Arizona gave up was.
0: five touchdowns to a not very good <laughs> but, quarterback.
2: And let's be well, the ba- he's a backup. Yeah, like what are we? Noah Fafita. He's <laughs> like- a backup. He's a freshman. He's five. Five TDs. He had five touchdowns, 303 yards passing. You gave up 506 total yards. You only had 365. Did you win the game? Sure. But did you do enough to convince everybody that you're a college football playoff contender? Absolutely the hell not. You go down the stretch of this season, and I see multiple losses right this second if that's the, if that's the effort you're going to put out at home against Arizona. You have at Notre Dame versus Utah. Then, well, as we get into November, Washington at home, Oregon on the road, UCLA, and your season finale at home. Then you have the Pac-12 championship. How the hell do I expect you to not get tripped up multiple times if that's what you're putting out on the defensive so side of the ball?
0: I want to ask you, do you think this is a Lincoln-Riley problem or do you think it's a Lincoln-Riley sticking by his guy problem? I think
2: it's a Lincoln—well, ultimately, I think it's both. It's, for a while, it's okay. He's sticking by the guy that he really likes. But at this point, you see the guy that you really like does not work. Even if he has an influx of talent, he cannot make anything happen for you. And I understand the Pac-12 is a decent, uh, you know, a a really decent conference this year, especially offensively, but you haven't really played the class yet. You haven't played the class of the Pac-12, and you're still bottom 25 in yards allowed in the entire college football landscape in FBS. At that point, it becomes a Lincoln-Riley problem. It's less about I'm sticking by this guy. You know it doesn't work sticking by your guy. It's on you now to go change it. And you can. He's got the connections to go find a good defensive coach. They have the money at USC. They have the resources. He's not using them, though. Now, at Oklahoma, they're using resources. And I was very damn impressed with what they were able to do over the weekend. He left there. And uh, we know that they were 6-7 and last year with Brent Venables. And we had a lot of questions about, oh, my God, are they going to be ready? By the time they get to the SEC, same with Texas, and I'll get to that in a second. But Oklahoma's here, man. No other way to put it. AP poll they came in at number five after beating Texas 34 to 30 with a late late touchdown throw from Dylan Gabriel to Nick Anderson, who had one catch for three yards and a TD. Good for him. Didn't get doesn't get a lot of targets, but he got the most meaningful target in that game. But Dylan Gabriel certainly is on the map as a Heisman candidate. 23 for 38, 285. Game-winning touchdown pass, only the only touchdown pass he threw. Didn't turn the ball over, um, but he also ran for 113 yards. And, like, that was a weird situation. You had to look up late in that game. And I know he had, like, a long run for about 40-plus yards, I think 44. You had to look up late in that game and sort of pinch yourself because you're like, he has 100 yards rushing at this moment. He's their leading rusher. But Dylan Gabriel was phenomenal. And I think that Oklahoma offense in general was phenomenal. And it wasn't about, like, they're not – the most talented Oklahoma offense I've ever looked at, ever laid eyes on, that would go to Lincoln Riley and what he was able to do with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and all those guys before. But their execution is pretty phenomenal. Their execution, they got in the red zone and they scored. They had four TDs, two field goals. They were six for six once they got in the red area. That is execution at its finest in the biggest stage, in the biggest moment, and I'm impressed with that team. And I think also... And this goes against sort of the the Lincoln-Riley thought process and what he was able to do at Oklahoma. That defense, man. Brent Venables in year one had a lot of struggles getting his culture built and trying to get that defense to what it was when he was at Clemson. This year he has that. He has that. Danny Stutzman is sort of their there. Uh, linebacker that's running all over the field, sideline to sideline. They're 11th in the country in scoring defense. And you compare that to the guy at USC who left Oklahoma, the bottom 25 in scoring defense. Uh, I mean, 14 points per game is all that, that Oklahoma's allowing right now. And I don't think they were overly awesome against Texas, but what they did, and they, they gave up a lot of yards, but what they did... If you can't limit a team because they're too talented on the offensive end, you have Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, all, Jonathan Brooks, all these really good pieces on the Texas side that beat Alabama earlier in the year, and we saw Quinn Ewers and the talent that he possesses and the guys on the outside possess, A.D. Mitchell, another guy. When you cannot limit them, what do you have to do? You have to be timely. They were timely as hell. He picked off Quinn Ewers twice, made him fumble once, and that was really the difference in the game. They they held on to the ball. Texas was not very good with their ball security. That defense really bothered that Texas offense at times. And Oklahoma gets over top late. I, I'm impressed with Oklahoma, and I think we have to give them their flowers after this win this week.
0: Without a doubt. it's Yeah, those three turnovers were extremely timely and the difference in the game. When you look at it, that was the difference in the game, those three turnovers, taking away those opportunities from Texas, the two interceptions throw and the fumble lost. It was a – you know, tough game for Ewers.
2: Yeah, and uh, last thing I want to bring up before we get to Tulane and uh, Memphis and how, you know, uh, this, is, this is the most important, most, the most valuable matchup or opportunity this Memphis team's going to have. Mario Cristobal, can you can – you, I mean, what, what are we doing? What are we doing, brother? This is not the first time he's done some late game mismanagement of the clock he did it in 2018 when he was at Oregon against Stanford. They were up 31-28, ultimately lost 34-31 because he decided that he wasn't going to kneel on the ball. It was second and three then. It was, you know, I mean, it was it was third down at about eight with about 40-some-odd seconds to go. He could have kneeled on the ball. He could have ran a, a, a you know, a play where you just sort of – and you practice this on – by the way, you know, trigger of the trade. On Friday walkthroughs, you practice – running off time. You have an open field behind you. You can run the quarterback back and just waste time, then take a knee and run out the clock. Instead, he runs the ball. His running back fumbles it. They give it to Georgia Tech. And about three, four plays later, Haynes King finds his wide receiver over the middle, all the way behind the defense, which is another issue, for a touchdown. In Miami, who was supposed to be undefeated going into this week in a massive match.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: It's got a loss, twenty-three twenty, to Georgia Tech. They could they could have been playing a undefeated matchup. Well, uh, they would have been undefeated going in to play against North Carolina, but instead. It's not going to be undefeated versus undefeated. We're going to have one loss there. And I just – I Mario Cristobal, if this was the first time this happened, you give him a little bit of a pass, although I think it was as boneheaded as it possibly could have been. Um, but this is not the first time this has happened. And this is part of the reason, I think, over the years, Mario Cristobal has not gotten to the heights that he he should get to. He's a good recruiter. Um, generally speaking, he has good players. He coaches them up relatively well. He does a good job with his O-line and his D-line, getting those trenches built up, and I think every good program's built up from those positions. But at the end of the day, it feels like there's a limit on what he's been able to accomplish, whether it was at Oregon losing the Pac-12 championship by a million to Utah and going down, or you know after beating Ohio State earlier in the year, or this situation right here where you beat a and earlier in the year, you have all this momentum, you, you could win a game very close against Georgia Tech, and you decide not to kneel on the ball. There's always something with him that keeps him from reaching the heights that it feels like his team's talent should reach.
0: I genuinely don't understand the thought process between behind not taking a knee there. I, I can't see any other option that you would have. Make it make sense. It was it's one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen called in a college football game. It's ever.
2: Well, I, unless I, you rewind it back to second and three in 2018 with less than a minute to go. <laughs> well, a, a, a Mario Cristobal team coached uh, you know, an even, Oregon Mario Cristobal coach Even Georgia Tech's team.
0: coaches were like, yeah, we thought they were going to need it. The game was over. They were like, we thought the game was over. I don't understand why they tried to run a play And there. then on the back end, what's the logic the end, behind it?
2: But then on the back end, the lack of execution, there's no logic behind it, quite frankly. I don't know what the logic is. He said he made the wrong call. He talked to the press today. He said he made the wrong call. But, I mean, even going, like, past that, it, 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 fumble behind you, okay, it happens. How is your late-game execution so bad with your defensive backfield that you let someone run free on the last play of the game? Yeah, also that. How? How? There's just something missing with Mario Cristobal. Yeah, it's like, I wonder what they're going to try to do here. Score a touchdown. We should probably put some <laughs> yeah.
0: guys in the back.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, how does, like, just uh, error after error after error. It, and these are the things, I don't think Mario Cristobal's a bad coach. I think he has made that Miami team actively better, and we can admit that. They were, they've been very, they, they're solid this year. Last year was a disappointment in year one, but you give guys pass. We just talked about Brent Venables, gave him a pass in year one. But this is the type of thing on the back end, if you don't reach the expectations that the fan base expects you to reach, that those people expect you to reach, this play... This type of execution late in the game that lost you a game, this comes back and they they find more reason to fire you. On the back end, if you do not reach the expectations that you set for yourself,
0: well, what what can this type of play do to the locker room? Because I know everybody's seen the video of the lineman being like, "What the f are we doing?" I
2: felt bad for that kid, man.
0: I did too. Think about Crying it: you put, your line. team is about to win a big game. You're going to be five and zero. Not even a
2: big game, Connor. And, well, not a big, a big game. game in
0: the sense that it I mean, it's puts a, it's you a at five and It puts you at five and zero heading into a huge game next week. You can put Miami back on the map. You really feel like you might have something this season, and then your coaches just take it away from you. It had to be infuriating. Like, you have to face your team after that and be like, that's on us. I'm do on they the run I laps said, what at practice? Are we doing? Yeah, like that, The coaches should have to run laps after that.
2: And I, I will say this. Like, I, I think that there's guys within that locker room that may, you know, flip their mindset about, does this guy really know what he's doing? I think most of them will stay on his side. But you do have to question that at times. If he's going into Monday pressers and talking about how I made the wrong call, that was a dumb mistake. How much can I trust you in a late game when that happens again? Like I just it's just I saw it's all bad. Th- you 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 could have been 5 and 0 playing a massive ACC matchup. You would have been 1 and 0 in the ACC. Now you're 4 and 1, 0 and 1 in the ACC taking on North Carolina and that game means a little less now.
0: I saw a great tweet after it happened. Somebody said that every single coach before they are hired should have to sit down with NCAA Football 14 and have to play the final 2 minutes <laughs> yes. and clock manage correctly before they are allowed to be hired. Me because it's, it's crazy how many times coaches falter at the end of games with clock management. And it's it, crazy. What,
2: what also just bothers me is if I, defenses are taught late in games, if they're going to run, a, run the ball at you, you're, poking, you're punching that ball out, you're ripping at that ball, you're doing everything you can to get out. Why put that running back in that situation? It's going gonna, gonna to come down to him, and he'll probably get some blame for it as well, his running back. But he put him, Mario Ball, in the OC as well, put him in a miserable Awful, unwinnable situation, in my opinion. That's just brutal. That's brutal. Now, Tulane versus Memphis on Friday. I like I like Friday the 13th games. I enjoy them. I enjoy them. Always against Tulane. Love it. It'll be at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. Uh, first, Ryan Silverfield, 2,500 tickets to the fans for free. Sold out in, what, 72 minutes? I shouldn't say sold out, but <laughs> they were claimed in 72 minutes. I like it. I like it. I don't think you need extra – I don't think you need to be enticed to go to the game because this is the biggest opportunity for a lot of reasons. One, it's a conference game. You're undefeated in conference. Two, this is a Tulane team that beat USC in the uh, uh, in the uh, – uh, I'm losing it – the Cotton Bowl last year. And you, you're just sort of looking at it, and you need to – basically show, if you're if you the program that you want to be going forward in the group of five, the one that could potentially make the 12-team playoff, the one that's at the top of the group of five every year, you need to go win this game. Tulane is the class of the group of five. If you beat them, you show you're the class of the group of five, at least for this season. That, that in itself shows me it's the biggest opportunity of, of this year. And you can talk about SMU late in the season, but we'll see what it looks like by the time we get there. But also, I mean, on top of this, this is the fourth of six home games. Win together, promotion has worked so far. They beat Boise State. You get your free game to uh, Tulane. Uh, you only have two more home games after this. It's, it's an important opportunity for this program that I think they need to seize. And uh, I, that part of that, I don't think you need to get enticed by Ryan Silverfield buying 2,500 tickets, but I'm glad to see that he bought those. I think it's a good show of, of care um, and, and show of good faith to the fan base who's who's tried to stick in there. And, this, I mean, hopefully these are a lot of people that have never gotten to attend a Memphis football That's my game hope. for uh, one reason or another. Hopefully they get into the stadium and see a good game.
0: Yeah, because Friday night Memphis games, I told the story last week uh, when you weren't here, but my first ever Memphis football game was a Friday night game, and I will never forget it. It, it was so much fun to go to watching D'Angelo Williams play football. So I hope that uh, a young Memphis Tiger fan out there gets that experience against Tulane.
2: Um my hopes for the team, and we'll continue to break this down as the week goes along before we get to Friday. My hope is we see another Seth Hennigan game like we saw against Boise State. Right. He became a reason that they won that game. He's not turning the ball over. He looked very good. He was comfortable with himself, made some good throws, and had two TDs, no interceptions, 260 yards. They ran the ball relatively well. I think this is a different, completely different team opportunity that you're gonna get against Tulane. Uh, one thing I think it's going to come down to is this O-line keeping him upright. There's a lot of guys along that D-line for Tulane that have two-plus sacks. Uh, Patrick Jenkins is one of them. He's an interior D-lineman. He is a great pass rusher from the interior D-line, about 6'1", 305. They're going to have to keep those guys off of Seth Hennigan by all means necessary. I don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball the same way they did against Boise, but keep Seth Hennigan upright, and I think good things can happen, just like they did in the Boise State game.
0: Get rock the rock.
2: yes. Your guy, Rock Taylor. My guy. And by the way, you know, Demir Demir Blankhamsey. We talked about it before I left. He, you know, got more targets than catches. Yet again, he gets a lot of targets. He shows that he's open a fair amount, but he had that deep ball down the middle of the field. That's what you want to see. You want to see more explosion from him, and I think we finally saw that in that Boise State game. Right. So, hopefully we see more of that coming up this weekend. But a massive opportunity for Ryan Silverfield and the Tigers coming up on Friday versus Tulane. Now, we have a lot to get to on the other side. AAC basketball preseason poll comes out, awards come out, Grizz preseason, Sunday night football was miserable for the Cowboys, all that and more on the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN.
1: Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN.
2: Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN, The Return. Now, basketball season's sneaking up on us pretty quickly. We have the Grizzlies starting on 25th. We have some preseason we'll talk about in a little bit. But the Tigers will start up on November 6th, relatively soon, less than a month away, against Jackson State. We do have the uh, AAC Media Day going along right now, and the preseason poll has been released. No surprises, right? Like, we shouldn't be there. No need to take it as full disrespect. Florida Atlantic was a Final Four team last year, and they're bringing back just about everything. Elijah Martin uh, in particular. I mean, you you just look at what they're able to do and what they were able to do last year. John L. Davis as well. Uh, both those guys are picked to be co players of the year in the preseason. You understand continuity. You understand Dusty May still there. It's fair to have Florida Atlantic thought of so highly. Now, Memphis right outside at number two. Then it goes to Lane, UAB, East Carolina, North Texas. I think the AAC, we've talked about this several times, Connor, it's going to be a fight for number three. I think number one and number two are damn solidified at this point. And then we'll see who can fight it out for number three. Right, like I think Tulane's fine, although no Jalen Cook anymore. UAB should be solid. Andy Kennedy's still there. Uh, East Carolina we'll see. But in North Texas, I think it'll take a little bit of a fall because Grant McCaslin's off to Texas Tech at this point. But um, I think one and two are solidified. I think it's very easy, though, and I've made the case several times this offseason, to put Memphis right there on the same 1A, 1B with Florida Atlantic. And it, it, obviously, I get Florida Atlantic has a continuity, and they have a good coach, and they were at the Final Four last year, but the Tigers, even with that team last year, which I think is, was less talented, quite frankly, than the team they're going to put out on the court this year, they were one play away, one timeout being called away from potentially winning that game and maybe being the team that could have made that magical run into the Final Four. So it is very, very damn close. Um, And and I like what this Memphis team possesses. If you look at the uh, preseason awards, first team, um, it was Javon Quinterly. is the uh, lone Memphis player that's on first team, alongside Jalen Forbes from Tulane, John L. Davis, and Elijah Martin. Again, picked to be co-preseason players of the year from Florida Atlantic, Eric Gaines uh, from UAB. Second team, the only only Memphis player is Jordan Brown. I think that's fair as well. He'll be a double-double guy, I'd have to imagine. Then R.J. Felton from ECU. Max Fielder from Rice. Zurich Phelps from SMU feels like he's been there for 15 years. And then Kevin Cross from Tulane. This team is poised to have a really, really good season. You're still waiting on the DeAndre Williams news, which does not feel very positive at this point. I mean, we're really up against the clock here. So I, I don't know if you should be waiting on it all that much. Um, but a lot of this season is going to d- depend on what they do in their non-con. What is their? What is their – Um, resume going to look once they get out of that because in conference you're only you're going to have those shots at you know the UABs to lanes of the world but mostly Florida Atlantic like it was last year with Houston that's the only resume building game now the Tigers have shown in the past that they're capable of winning that game I think they're capable of beating Florida Atlantic but we won't really see those games till the last four there's two of the last four games being against Florida Atlantic in conference play so that non-con needs to be the main focus for this team when we're talking and I know you can't look ahead too far but that non-con is going to tell us a lot about where they're placed in the tournament.
0: Absolutely. And to your point about FAU and Memphis being very close, over on ESPN they were trying to decide who the player of the year in each conference is going to be. And right now they have a 1A, 1B, Elijah Martin, and then they have actually Jordan Brown Jordan as Brown. a potential uh, player of the year for the American Conference, which I found a bit interesting because I did th- I did think that Jordan Brown would be a first-team preseason. I think he should pick. have probably. Uh, that, him being the but, second team I thought was a bit of a surprise, but I did – think that everything else made sense The 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 freshman team sure okay you know maybe maybe they might make that team I'm not sure how much playing time they're going to get but uh I thought that everything made sense with because Memphis absolutely has an opportunity to jump FAU but they got to win the games you're supposed to win take care of business
2: yeah now Eric Gaines I think you know like and obviously it's you know based on position so maybe that's why I I don't know how it works but Jordan Brown I think could have been first team, but Eric Gaines should have a really big year with UAB, and Jalen Forbes has been a mainstay for Tulane for, for a while now. Um, but we'll see how this all shakes out by the time we get to season. If they get DeAndre Williams, that'll be a very, very fun story.
0: Where, if DeAndre Williams is on this Memphis team, he,
2: was, he would probably
0: have been picked for player of the, of the player year. Player of the
2: year. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I've always wondered, even if, if DeAndre Williams does make it on this team, he means a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, From a continuity standpoint, getting everybody on the same page, understanding Penny early in the game, um, even with an experienced team, just not necessarily experienced with Memphis. Even if he's there, there's so many guys that can score, need the ball. There's like six guys deep that you can go get 20, 20 points a game with him. We've seen in the past, like, yeah, DeAndre Williams can go get his own buckets, but he'll defer – He'll defer, so I wonder if he would be in that Player of the Year conversation. Yes, the, I get the in reason theory. Would yes. probably be is in theory, yes, but I think the way this team's going to be built, if DeAndre Williams does make it onto the roster, I think he may not get the same statistics he had last year. I don't feel. I don't feel that's a hot take. It
0: it just depends on how they run the offense. If they do the inside out, like they did last year with Javon Quinterly and, and DeAndre Williams, at, similar to how they did Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams, I could see it. It's but another guy that. I do feel like he's under talked about is Jaquan Walton. Like that yeah, guy Jay feels Kwan, like yep. he feels like the X Factor on this Tigers team who he could just pop he can, off any he night. Can,
2: he can go. I mean, he can get it from the three point line, forty percent shooter. He has fourteen point per game score at uh, Wichita State. He can get into the mid range. He's he's been fun. He's been fun to sort of follow and see early in camp. And he has got um, over 1,100 points the one in the thing SEC. I see. The, the only reason I say that about DeAndre Williams is because now you have another guy in the front court who's going to demand the ball and demand the rock and sure. put up his shots in Jordan Brown. you It just sort of, you know, you, you take a little bit away from DeAndre Williams' offensive bag when you have another guy in that front court who can go get his own.
0: I think that's fair. I think that's a fair point to bring up.
2: Yes, yes. But I still think any of these guys are have, have the potential. I mean, I... There's a lot of guys on this team who have the potential to be player of the year type candidates. I think Javon Quinterly's in that conversation. Jordan Brown's in that conversation. If Jaquan Walton breaks through, who knows? Like, I have no idea how they're going to play him, how they're going to use his minutes. But if he is hot game to game, he'll probably get a load of minutes and score a lot. So there's that. David Jones, I think, has that upside as well. Right? John Ralstein, as soon as that commitment was made from David Jones – over to the University of Memphis, he said that this is an early AAC Player of the Year candidate. So there's just like there's a lot of guys that could potentially be in that starting lineup that are Player of the Year candidates. And, and that's
0: why there's a lot of expectation coming with this Memphis Tigers team. We've never seen them on the court together as a team, but everything that we've heard, everybody that everything that we've been talking about, it has the potential to be – you know, something special here in Memphis as a yep. team, with or without DeAndre Williams. DeAndre Williams takes it to another level. Of course. But even without him, this is a team that has the potential to make noise. But to your point, you gotta show it it's early. gonna come down yes. to those non-con yes. games and those tests come early. They come early.
2: I mean, you're going to have fourth game well, second game of the year, fourth if you're counting exhibitions, Mizzou at Mizzou. And we know, we know that they were solid last year, and Dennis Gates has them going in the right direction. Then two two games after that, you're gonna have to deal with the battle for Atlantis, Michigan, and then all these other teams: Arkansas, Stanford, Ole Miss, North Carolina, Texas Tech. I mean, there's just so many different ways you can slip up, and Ole Miss should be massively improved. And it's at Ole Miss, at VCU, at Texas A&M. After that, Clemson was solid last year. Virginia, everything's going to come down to how they get started and how well they mesh early in this season. Um, did you find it interesting the rookie of the year preseason rookie of the year voting and how that all? all yeah, I, I found it interesting. I, 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 I did. I just don't know the,
0: how much playing time they're going to get.
2: I don't know about like the freshman classes of like UAB and Florida Atlantic and who else can really show up. But Carl, Sharon Font, JJ Taylor, co rookies of the year. I don't know how much JJ Taylor is going to get run. Carl Sharon kind of makes sense. I you can sort of plug him in three through or, or two through four. He could be a good defensive ace for you potentially. He's got he's a high energy guy, has a little bit of an offensive bag. You want to see it develop a little bit more when he gets uh you know in the swing of things. But I I don't know how I don't know if either of these guys are gonna get a whole lot of run. Well, to be could, rookies he, of the could
0: year. it be this simple? Those are just like the two best freshmen in the conference, so they kind of just gave it to them. It, could uh, it, it be maybe. as simple as that?
2: It it could be it could be, and like it's the highest rated recruiting class yeah. in the conference. So I guess you sort of default. To them, it but may, I,
0: it may have been. Uh, but, if you,
2: um, if you, if you, but if you read through like the roster construction and how Penny did, de- you know, manage his minutes last year, won a lot of freshman playing. That's true, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's I, just,
0: th- when we've been talking about the team this year and how they're going to operate and the lineups that they're going to have. Those two have been like, oh yeah, they might get some run here and there, spot minutes, but I don't expect them to be big parts of the team this season.
2: This is going to be like, I feel like early in the season, this is going to be Penny throwing out feeler minutes for maybe a, a couple of these guys in these, in these lower non-conference Here's games. What I'll and say, if though. they do well with them, he may throw them out there for extended minutes and, and meaningful games, but I feel like those, are, those minutes from J.J. Taylor and Carl Sharon Font are going to have to be fully earned. They're not just going to be thrown to them. They're not going to get 15 minutes a game just by showing up to the to the arena. Now, That's all that being happen. said,
0: if one of them does win that award, that bodes well for me. I mean, something yes, good is yes. happening. That yes. means something very good is happening. Yes. So, if, uh, if you add a, a
2: JJ Taylor or, Carl or Sharon Font to Jaquan Walton and Javon Quinterly and Jordan Brent, all these guys on this roster, yes, that does bode well for where the Tigers will be at the end of the year. Um, now, Grizzlies open the preseason. Uh, Yesterday, last night, OT. By the way, can we just like when we get to the fourth quarter and can we just
0: go home? <laughs> like, the, get, only reason, the only reason the only reason preseason I, OT exists is to let going. Junior cook. Yeah, I let. That's junior the cook. only
2: reason it exists. He was man. He's got an offensive bag.
0: He's fun to watch. <laughs> he's got a bag, man. He dropped that dude.
2: Eleven points, five for six, one for one for three, and the, he dropped the dude in the lane from mid range and just nailed it right in his junior. Face. Oh, that was beautiful. Um. Not a whole lot to take away from preseason games. Let's start there. Marcus Smart wasn't playing, so you didn't get to see Marcus Smart play. But Derrick Rose, I was, you know, I have been in the boat of... Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Derek Rose was more meaningful for a young roster off the court than maybe on the court. What I saw from him last night, like, I, and obviously you have to, you know, stay away from injury and make sure at his advanced age, you, you keep the nicks and bruises away. But 13.6 for eight, one for one from three. Good distributor, still look good. Still has a little bit of athleticism when he wants to use it. He's a it. bit spry. Good, good, good finish around the rim early in that game. He's got that floater. Um, he's got the floater. Like that's uh, Derrick Rose. Maybe I mean, just sort of looking at one game of preseason, looks like a guy who could who could potentially be a nice rotational piece at point guard. Yeah, early in the season. Right. Once ja gets back, I don't know where the minutes are
0: going to. You need you need him for the early part of the season. That first twenty five games is going to be the most important of Derrick Rose's season. Like if he can get you through that first 25 as a backup, that that's a huge win. That's a huge win there. And I will say, uh, I did want to ask you, did you see some of the comments that he made last week during media days and things yeah. like that? Any any thoughts on those?
2: Yeah, it, it's it's just interesting to see him back here and he's still even after the game last night, the comments he was making with Rob, like in the post game, it's like he still it still hasn't hit him. It's cool that he's back in the it's city. It's so cool, man. It's cool as hell, though. He was a hit at, at media day. I'm, I'm sad. I he missed was that,
0: he was the best part. He, he was the thing for media day. It was uh, some of those pressers. I wasn't in the presser, but I did get to talk to him before he jumped on with Jeffrey, who did a tremendous job interviewing everybody last Monday. Um, and he was just telling me how it. it he, he still hasn't gotten used to everybody saying welcome back, like welcome home, yeah. because he was like, I was only here for for six months, but it's it he, meant he a did, lot. Though he brother. didn't realize yes. how much of an impact he still had in this city, I think. I think that for some reason... Which is insane to think oh, about. It, it's crazy to think about. But I think to him, because of how it ended with Memphis and all of that, he he felt like it may have had been a bit of an awkward relationship with the fan base here. And I think it's been a pleasant surprise to him that it's been nothing but love. And everybody is welcoming him back with open arms. And we want to see him be successful in the locker room, of course, but on the basketball court. So seeing him playing well last night, it was, at the very least, really cool. You know? Yep. Uh, that, that It's just... Hey man, this is really cool that Derrick Rose is wearing number twenty three in the um, Grizzlies uniform.
2: No, it's it's beautiful. It's it's poetic. It's it's just beautiful. Oh,
0: you know my thoughts about poetry in yes, sports. They have is. a tendency to be poetic.
2: Yes. Um, Stephen Adams played eleven minutes last night. Four four points, looked five healthy. rebounds. He looked healthy. All that matters. I, I don't I don't want to read into it too much. Although there's been a lot of back and forth, and you don't quite know. But he looked healthy. He sprung off the ground. Had a nice lob dunk. Five he bounds. Put in. He was fine. Yeah. He looked fine. Uh Zaire Williams, I this was something I missed when I was out, is that he is sort of uh at least a Michael Cole was reporting from the commercial appeal that he could potentially be the guy that fills in as the fifth starter while Jaw's out. I don't know. I still I still am I still am confused by it. I wasn't overly I was not optimistic about what I saw last night. But again, one preseason game.
0: More aggression. It's got to yes. be more aggression. You, you, he has to be proactive in his offense. He cannot be reactive. He can't let there's, other guys set things up for him. He has to go out there and just try to get buckets. Be aggressive. Right. Be super aggressive.
2: And with that, though, like, there's, there's, there's kind of a, a, a give and take with that. Because if you're aggressive and you start mission shots and he loses confidence, I don't like what I have in Zaire Williams. Because I think this is a guy, he's young as hell. I mean, he's 22 years old still. He needs to build confidence because that's what we saw him lack last year, having the knee stuff in the offseason, didn't really have a full offseason to to deal with all of that, get used to his body changes. Potentially he got taller. That's sort of the reason he may have had some of the the issues with his knee. I just want to see the kid build confidence more than anything. Because even his rookie year, when he got in there with the starters, and got his opportunities on lobs and corner threes, and and some of them started going in, and he started to, uh, you know, feel himself out there. You saw the confidence build through him, and he got a little more aggressive. I think it, the confidence needs to come before the aggression for him, though, because I don't know if he has, I don't know if he has the confidence to match, to go be that aggressive number ten overall pick that he was a few years ago.
0: And that entire conversation and point that you just brought up, though, is I think why people have some worries because. Yes. At this point in his career, you would hope that that confidence is already there, even though he had a tough season. But top ten pick, he's got to be that guy. He can't just be the lob, catching, hit two or three no. threes a game. You have to be a you, plus defender, and you need to well, be— Well, you could
2: be that guy, just add the be a, be a defender at yeah, the same you, time. Yeah,
0: you've got to just be there. He's got to be more aggressive on the defensive end and on the offensive end. I still think that Z has the potential to become that. Jeff asked me last week on the show if I thought by the end of the year— we would think he was a starter. I don't think we're going to get there. I do think that he might be able to prove he's a rotation player in the NBA, and that's a good first step. But last night as well, you had David Roddy and Jake LaRavia looking good. And when those those guys look okay okay to good, and Z has a bit of a struggling game – it gets, that's where the conversation gets right. tricky. It gets so tricky. So
2: he's the first part of the wing rotation that you want to work out. He was a 10 overall pick, but right. they did draft the two guys last year And Jake Laravia and David Roddy. I was impressed with both of them last night. David Roddy, maybe a little more, even though the, st- the stats would tell you, you should be a little more impressed with the aggression Roddy and confidence Jake Laravia was, was, was showing and he does move with purpose. And I think he's a more well-rounded player at this particular moment. Jake LaRavia, though, like last night, yeah, 15 points, aggressive, put up 14 shots. That's fun. Mostly in garbage time. And I, sure. I, does that, that sort of gave me a little bit of a hint, especially with guys sitting last night. Marcus Smart, John Morant's not going to be out there. Like it gave me, and they're trying to get Zaire Williams and David Roddy involved a little more. It sort of gave me the idea of where he may be in this pecking order, even though he had a decent night last night. Right? Like, that's that's the only negative I have to say about Jake LaRavia is I think that the way he was being played last night shows us that maybe he's farther down the pecking order than those other two. Maybe. Z
0: is definitely their priority, without yes. a doubt. From everything that they said at, at media day, to, and I think that they know that that's what I've always described it as I think that David Roddy, they know, has the lowest floor. If that makes, like I think that at the end of the day, David Roddy can be a good, a decent rotation guy. Yes. That is his floor. LaRavia and Z... Their floors are much lower, but their ceilings are also a little bit higher. So you have to figure out what those two guys are first, I think. So I I tend to agree with your thought process. I would also say, though— it was also a garbage time game where they knew they were probably the having to go into overtime. It was first preseason yeah. game. So I don't know what to take from the rotation too much. Here's what I will say though. I just like that Jake was letting it fly. Yes. Let that let that MFR fly. That's what we've that's what Coach Jenkins has been telling him. That's what he's got to do. That was the problem with them last year, is he just wouldn't shoot the damn ball. Yeah. If he feels leather, that thing needs to go up. So I was glad to see that.
2: Yeah, That fourteen shots. That shows I'll you. take it. And even in summer league, he was starting to get more and aggressive. He- Little, yeah, a little swag, a <laughs> little, a little cram on him at the end there yeah, with no, the spec racks. I I, 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 dig it. I dig it. I dig it. Now we'll see if uh, Jeff Calkins has some takes on this, but I would imagine I'm gonna be the uh, I'm gonna be the uh, interviewee coming up here soon. Probably he might so. be the interviewer, but Jeff Calkins is next. 92.9 FM ESPN.